This is episode 500 of the Eventing Radio Show, brought to you by Eventing Riders Association of North America. We'd like to thank our title sponsor, Bit of Britain. Find everything you need for eventing at bitofbritain.com. This week, we have Carolina International's Bobby Costello, and we have the Chronicle's Molly Bailey. This is Max Corcoran in freezing, terrible, but actually not so terrible, but really cold and miserable, Rayford, North Carolina. And this is Joe from beautiful, sunny, I'm so <laughs> pleased to be home from the snow, Ocala, Florida. And you are listening to the Eventing Radio Show. How's it going, Max? It's a little chilly, but I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, we had a little oh. snow this morning, but you know, it's what it is. So, listeners, as you just heard, uh, this is show number 500. We've written, we've reached the big five zero zero. We're pretty excited, and um, Glenn from the Horse Radio Network is going to come on to say a few words. Well, guys, I want to congratulate you on number 500. I was just looking today. This show started December 10th of 2008. Wow. So this is your 10th year uh, of doing the eventing radio show. Now, uh, Horse Radio Network owned it when we started it years ago. And then, and then you know, Ventures Riders took over for it, uh, what, four or five years ago, I think. But the one co- constant I want to thank uh, John from Bitter Britain, too. He's been a sponsor of the show, I think, from pretty much day one. It was, I think so, too. Yeah. He's a big supporter wow. of our sport, and he's, he's tireless. Yeah, he has been with this show from day one, and we want to thank him for for being part of it for almost 10 years. And you should be very proud. I looked it up. First of all, there are very few podcasts make it over a year, let alone 10 years. And I looked up how many podcasts as best the numbers are that make it to 500 episodes, and it's 1.5% of all podcasts. Now, keep in mind that right now on iTunes, there's 300,000 podcasts. (laughs) So to be in that group that makes it 1.5% is pretty amazing. Uh, And I know there are times when all of us, believe me, I've done almost 6,000 episodes for all my shows. Uh, There are times when you go, I don't feel like doing this this week, but you guys (laughs) have showed up week in and week out and have done it. And of course, of course, you have a little help too on the off weeks. Um, And you guys are just there doing it, Liz and Paul also, and you're there doing it and you've done it on the on the hard weeks. And I appreciate that. And I, I think the listeners do too. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Glenn, for everything you've done to help keep it going and supporting. You've been producing it for this entire time as well. So um, we'll, we'll throw it right back to you and thank you for everything you've done for us. We know more about eventing than probably you guys do now. Well, and, exa- and, and as, <laughs> as yeah. Jennifer would say, if she only could tell uh, the stories about what we talk about when we're not recording... She said <laughs> she's got dirt on everybody. <laughs> the auditors, which are super fans, they kind of pay every month to be in their super fan club. They want exactly. us to to give the. They want us to record those bits and pieces you guys do and put it out privately for them. And I and I even told them, oh no, you can't even have this. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> that is off the record. Yeah. So good job, guys! Congratulations. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Oh, Max, see you. Isn't that cool? Yeah, one yeah, point really whatever cool. percent. Yeah, yeah, one point four percent. I think he said Amazing. that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I think yep. I think we got to thank our listeners actually. Exactly for, um, for for tuning in every every week and, um, and plus I. I really love when I meet a listener and people will say, love your show or love yeah. this about it or that about it. And I always say, you know, is there anything you, you want me to put in or have you got any feedback? And it's just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. It really is. I met someone even today, the woman that was helping doing the in barn, she said to me, she looked at me and said, what's your name? And I said, Oh, Max Corcoran. She goes, I thought so. I listen to your show all the time. So that was actually kind of fun to, to have that little happen today. <laughs> Just re- recognized your voice, Max. Yeah, didn't know exactly. what you looked like. I didn't know what I looked like. It's probably better that way. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got a face for radio as well. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. You haven't, Max. Exactly. You're, you're yeah. lovely. I think I've got a face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Max, you're up there in the freezing cold. How is it? I am in the cold. It's, it is cold today. But I tell you, I you know, because I have a really soft spot in my heart for this town, for Southern Pines. I, I spent some winters down here and and uh, and God, I had I you know ran amok, but worked hard, and I really enjoy this town and this area. And 
Um, and these guys do put on a really good show. It's cold and as miserable as it is. There's, you know, they're here to help. They're always, you know, checking in on you. They, you know, they're, it's a really competitor friendly competition, which is nice. And they put on a top notch competition too. They've got a brand new uh, arena here. Nice brand new, uh, Atwood arena for the main arena here. And, um, it's just a great show. It's really fun. I do like it, even though it is really cold and, um, and yeah, I would be really happy to see the sun tomorrow. <laughs> well, Max, speaking of cold, I was in England last week. Oh, that's cold and wet. And it is cold and wet. But not only that, is they have had a very wet spring. And it's been terrible. It has They've been, been really had bad. to cancel some stuff, and haven't they? Well, some stuff. Everything. I mean, almost everything. It's just the, the whole country is waterlogged. Um, and a lot of things got cancelled. They managed to run, I think, one day at Alden and maybe one or two days, I'm not quite sure, at Lincoln. Um, the other event, Swaycliffe or something, I'm not sure. They got got cancelled or they did one day or whatever. So they really are struggling over there. But um, – and strangely, Matt, the, Max, the – it wasn't even that wet, you know. We had a couple of dry days. It was just, I think the whole place is just waterlogged, you Constantly know. Constantly, yeah. Um, and we're very lucky here, um, especially in beautiful sunny Florida. Yes, it has been slightly cold um, this winter from time to time, but we've done event after event after event. So, no, yeah. we've got to count ourselves very lucky. Um, yeah. You know, so we've done, we've done very well. But everything was going brilliant on my – I did a lap of England, Max, and yeah. uh, then it started to snow. Yeah. It really snowed. Yeah. It really, really did. And so um, Sunday uh, was uh, – people were meant to be competing, and I ended up having a, a lovely Sunday lunch with a few of my kids, <laughs> Dan Josman and, yeah, and, and Boy Fonseca um, and yeah. um, Rodney Powell and a few other people. We had a we had the most fantastic time because it was just one of those impromptu times where you could say, oh, well, everyone was sort of – got together and – had great fun and it was yeah so it was great so i was slightly nervous i might not get out of there um because the country is not exactly not really all that great yeah it doesn't really know how to do yeah a lot of snow but um with all the planes were going and everything was good and i I left freezing snow i you know this is funny max i landed in iceland it was warmer in iceland than it was at gatwick Oh yeah, of course it was. <laughs> yeah, and then wow. I got to Orlando. Then I got to Orlando, and it was perfect. So of course it was. yeah, back here in in yeah. in love. But we had a lot of rain, but well, we needed it though. We really right. did. Yeah. Um. So we're back into grass growing and warmth now. I think Max. So yeah, so it should be. Uh, I can't wait so, to get back. Yeah. So yeah. who who are you looking after there, Max? What I am looking the- after Leslie Law this weekend. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Which is uh, which is good, which is great, um, and um, yeah, so that's all very good. And uh, he's got four horses, two in the one star, one in the advanced, and one in the two star. So plenty to do, but not too much. So it'll be it'll be good. Um, yep. Again, just oh, the sun's just trying to peer out now. So um, yeah, busy, but uh, not too busy. And um, yeah, lots of lots of people here. There's um, tons of entries, and um, so it'll it should be a good weekend. Well, we're going to hear from Bobby Costello in a minute, and he's going to tell everybody about the amount of entries and what's going on and all the rest of it. And I know, Max, that you've got one or two cocktail parties that you will be attending, so yeah. um, you'll be having you'll be having a lot of fun. But yeah. uh, we should probably get on with our show, and uh, we will listen to our sponsors at Bit of Britain. Hello, everybody. I'm Molly Rosen, and I'm here to show you my favorite dressage girth. This is called the Passage, made by Nun Finer. It's got a lot of great features on it. One of the really nice features is this rolled edge, so that um, it's very minimal chance of any skin pinching. The other excellent feature, which is why I use it on everybody, is, as you can tell, is really squishy right here. Horses get sensitive when they're girthed up on a daily basis. As you can tell, I mean, who wants a super tight bra put around their stomach, right? So... It's really, really squishy. The buckles have elastic in here, but it's just stretchy enough to give you that ease when you pull up your girth. And the really cool thing about this girth is it comes in black for your dressage saddle, or if you've got a jump saddle of long billets, you could also use it for your brown. One of the other distinguishing features about this 
passage girth is that you could tell it's shaped differently uh, front and back. So as you can see here, there's a nice inset where you're going to put that behind the horse's elbows and then the straight side for the back that's closer to the horse's flanks. It, it does take some getting used to putting on, but once you understand the reasonings behind it, you'll never go wrong. You want to just give the horse's elbow room to move forward and back, and that's why it's got the curve. It's a great feature on this passage girth. To get your none finer passage girth, visit bitofbritain.com and search for passage. You'll find it there, available in girth sizes 20 through 34, in colors black and brown, at bitofbritain.com. Joining us now is one of my oldest friends and, and uh, a long-time um, long rider and supporter of the Carolina International, went from way back. Welcome to the show, Bobby Costello. Thank you, Max. So, Bobby, you've How been, you obviously, today? you have been um, living here in southern, beautiful southern pines in this area, and you used to live across from what we then called the Southern Pines Horse Trials. And um, tell our listeners a little bit about the history of this competition. Right. Well, um, the event started, gosh, probably, oh man, at least 20 years ago. Um, in, in what is the, uh, the Walther Moss Foundation, it's about 4,000 acres of preserved land in Southern Pines and the great Lafrida Williams, um, uh, spearheaded that competition. And she was the first organizer. She and Linda Dreher, um, got that event going and it was, it was held there at the, at the Walther Moss Foundation for many, many, many years. And, um, after a while, I think that mostly the Fox hunt, uh, used, used that property and, and they didn't absolutely love, love, love having the event there necessarily. So, yeah. um, after a while, uh, we, we started looking for a new piece of property and, um, the, a, a group of people found, um, a great piece of land out in Hoke County, which is about 20 minutes from the original site. Um, kind of a little bit out in the middle of nowhere, but it's absolutely a, a beautiful piece of land and a beautiful facility once you get out there. And um, we are now uh, about, oh boy, about maybe 15 years into uh, the horse trials being out there and five years into the Carolina International, which is um, a, a new organizing committee was formed to to kind of raise this competition to another level. And that's where we are today. Yeah, and and it, it it does. It gets from strength to strength. I mean, you, your your group that you put together, you've got a super group of people that are um, riders and professionals and other um, uh, other industries yep. and stuff like that. That you put together this really cool group of people that that have really helped um, transform it into one of the best competitions on the East Coast or in the country. I think. Yeah. yeah, we're lucky. We have a, a really good active organizing committee. It has riders, let's see, Lizzie Snow, Will Fodry, and Doug Payne are the riders on our committee. Um, Nike Doubleday kind of represents the owners on our committee. And um, Mark Donovan, who's actually our organizer of the competition, is on our committee, along with LaFrida Williams and Gwen Parkins, all, all folks from the original um, horse trials. And then we also have an adult amateur, Audrey Wiggins, who has recently come on on our committee and um, has has been working tirelessly with all that she does. Um, so we're pretty lucky with a with a great organizing committee, great subcommittees. We have volunteers that just line up. Thank goodness for this competition. And um, yeah, we're because really that's not easy to find, is it? Time. As you know, organize or try to find volunteers and stuff. And, and it's right. really become a bit of a community event where people actually really want to be a part of it. Don't they? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so much that happens out at the horse park between, you know, just the, uh, the regular, you know, affiliated competitions that are held throughout the year, as well as a whole series of, um, unrecognized horse trials that we actually have a whole series called the war horse series that, um, that, you know, just gets hundreds of entries for each one of those. So they all take, volunteers and it's it's wild like you know just everybody that that comes out to volunteer i really do believe they do it because they have a great time and and i think they're they know they're treated well and um you know it's, it's a definitely a community effort and um you know we, we couldn't be luckier with the people that we have kind of behind these competitions yeah yeah and this is such a great town too. I mean, I, I, you know, lived here for a couple of winters and I just, I love this town. People are so great. They, yeah, it's great. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny because I think since the, the, the event has been out of the horse park now for, for quite a number of years, people may come to the Carolina 
uh, horse bark at, uh, in, in Hoke County and, and not ever really got to see Southern Pines, which is just an, uh, a wonderful town and has a great, vibrant downtown area. And it's a real horse community, um, you know, a little bit set off from, from where the horse park is. But um, hopefully when people come to town, they can also, uh, you know, go into town and, you know, you know, we have great restaurants and bars and, you know, it's a pretty cool, cool place, as you remember, Matt. As I remember. And a kick-ass bakery, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, it has a great, great bakery and great crepe shop. And, and of course, my yeah, favorite place, good, good I think, is no longer with us anymore, our favorite Finches, which a lot yeah, of our listeners that ever spent years in Southern Pine will know. I don't think a lot has changed in there except <laughs> the name. <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. So, Bobby, tell what what do, what do people need to know about um, this weekend and what's going on and um, tell people something they may not know. Right. Well, I know I, I actually got some stats before I got on the call. I know that we have a lot of entries. We have um, 500 total uh, entries. Um, just the, the CIC divisions alone, the one star has 86 in it. The two star has 78 competing and the three star has 60. So, um, you know, just, just the CICs are, you know, a, a, a really great number of, of horses and riders competing. Um, of course we have Ian Stark back as our uh, course designer and he has actually flipped the course around and, and running most of it backwards this year. Um, so those of you who have been to the new water, um, that trainer, up on top of the hill is going to look really big coming out of the water. It's pretty exciting. And, and oh, well. everybody will actually be able to see it on the live stream. Um, EQ Sportsnet is doing that again for us. Um, and uh, the coverage is really great. So if you can't come out, watch it on EQ Sportsnet. Well, and, you know, it's also, this is sort of, um, you know, for this competition this time of year, you know, you, uh, you uh, with your selector hat on, um, in case our mm-hmm. listeners don't know, Bobby Costello is also the head selector for the eventing team, for the U.S. eventing team. Um, this is the first time sort of all of the Ocala crew and all of the um, Aiken crew and every, all the Southern Pines crew and the West Coast. Some people are out here now. And and it's sort of like you're the yeah. first sort of biggie run before getting ready for Kentucky. Um, what what are you going to be looking for for these horses this weekend? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is, this is, you know, usually the event customarily where, you know, there's a couple of different circuits, um, throughout the winter. And this is where the two circuits kind of merge for the first time, um, leading up to the, the spring three days. So, uh, you know, it's fun to see, you know, uh, the, the group of folks that I don't see too much in the winter that are down in Florida, cause we're, I'm mostly kind of in the, in the more the mid Atlantic area. And then, you know, the, the folks that may, you know, tough it out in Virginia, um, or even North of Virginia, um, you know, are making their first, uh, trek South and doing their first event. So that's really fun. Um, I think, you know, for, for most of the people it's late enough in the spring that they, they should expect the courses to be quite beefy and you're really going to know where you are and where you stand. Um, as far as, you know, if, if, if indeed you have bigger plans, uh, going forward in, in the spring. So, um, you know, it's far enough out. I think, I think we're about five weeks out from, from Kentucky, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a great weekend to be able to challenge the horses, but also not, you know, if you have a little blip, there's still plenty of time to, um, you know, to kind of pull things back together. So uh, this event will be followed by the fork in a couple of weeks um, at the at the World Equestrian Game site in Tryon. So, um, you know, it's kind of it's it's fun because everybody gets together here and it's a very social competition. We have uh, every afternoon in the competitors lounge, we have you know, a cocktail party every night, um, with food. And, um, so it's a real, it's a, it's a very, very fun social event on top of just being a great competition. Sounds good, Bobby. I've never been up there before. And isn't it? That's okay, Joe. Is it snowing? (laughs) Is it snowing? It it did snow this Uh, morning. It did snow this morning. And flakes. I saw Max's (laughs) post on Instagram it did. It did snow a little bit. I was out teaching this morning, and there were a few flakes. But it's it's only going to get better this weekend. It March is a crazy month. It can be like early summer here in March, and then it can just be you know it can be cold. Can get some real yeah. freaky weather as well. So um, the I one think thing we're gonna, with this weather, though, it's going to make the going pretty perfect. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely in the sand hills. The more rain we get, the better. You know, with with without the moisture, that the sand can sometimes get a little bit shifty and loose. But with the um, with the added moisture, I think we can look forward to really exceptional going this weekend. So that was my next question because I've never been up there, and I want you to just tell us a bit about the terrain, especially in the three star, mm-hmm. and how long is it, and what sort of a fitness test um, is it on on the lead up to Kentucky. Right. Um, I think Ian actually has, uh, has built, used the train. There is actually quite a bit of uh, terrain here, m- more than probably in Southern Pines proper. So out where the horse park is, um, definitely more terrain. Um, anything from uh, the infield there's of quite a, a bit of hills, isn't there? Track. Yeah, there's a bit of a couple yeah, of hills yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. When you get out more through the through the the woods, um, yeah, some really good pulls, big wide galloping lanes through the through the wooded sections. Um, I I don't know exactly how long of a track Ian has set this year, um, but it is probably on the longer side of the CICs. Um, you know, uh, of the spring season. And um, so I think they'd be looking around seven, seven minutes, seven minutes, six and a half, seven minutes for the, for the three star. Um, and it's a, it's a serious track. There's two big water jumps, um, uh, a, a new, I think only the second year for a new coffin combination it was kind of maturing last year. And I think, I think that is going to be a good test uh, this year. And um, there's definitely a little bit of everything. And with the track going in the opposite direction, I think that will be um, interesting to see how that So you, mean, you mentioned the, the huge entries, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Um, so in the one-star, two-star, and three-star, but um, mm-hmm. what for the other 350, what other classes sure. are there this weekend? Sure. So that we have um, also uh, horse trials at the uh, – at, at all levels from training all the way up uh, through advanced. We have prize money and every division even going down to, um, you know, the j- junior training division. So every, uh, every division will be competing for prizes and for money. I believe that there is about $75,000, $80,000 between Whoa. all of the um, CIC divisions. Um, so, yeah, people will be yeah. hopefully going home with some good cash. Yeah. Um, we'll be giving the awards out on the, the CIC divisions end on Saturday, which is kind of fun because the big party is Saturday night. So those guys can kind of cut a little bit loose. Um, those guys that are done on Saturday and maybe some of the ones that aren't. <laughs> I was going to say, I have a little bit of a bone to pick because one of the horses I'm looking after goes cross country at five o'clock. So, That's you a- know. Well, I know, I know. That is the advance. It's going to back up mighty close to the competitors party. So I know, I know. Any exactly. holds on course. I know, exactly. But it's great to have, mm-hmm. I mean, it really is great to have so many entries. And um, again, you guys take, it's one of my favorite events to come to because you do, you guys do take such good care of everybody, whether they're, you know, owners or grooms or riders or whatever. I mean, right. it's, it's pretty great. There's, <laughs> yeah, we try really, you know, we, 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 um, you know, there are enough of us uh, that are or were riders that, you know, traveled all around the country to different events. And, you know, one thing that we wanted to do is, you know, you all know, like you go to some competitions and some competitions, it almost seems like they can't, you know, they're, they're happy to have you arrive, but they can't wait for everybody to leave. You know, like, in, <laughs> yeah. in, you know, there are events that are more friendly than others. Yeah. And we try, you know, whether you have the competition and, and the placing that you wanted over the weekend we at least want everybody to, to, to go away feeling that they had a really good time and that they were appreciated. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta appreciate every, appreciate everybody, including the riders and the owners for sure. Yeah, it is a good, yeah, it's, and it's a good group. It's just kind of sitting over here, just looking out over the warm up right now while I'm talking to everybody here. And it's just, you know, it's just, everybody seems happy, even though it's raining and cold, it seems everybody oh. seems pretty happy. <laughs> It is what it is. It's it almost is. cocktail time, so everybody. Will be I happy know exactly. About yeah, yeah. A couple hours. No, it is. It is a great. Uh, it's a great spot. It's a great spot. Well, Bobby, we're going to let you go and um, and take care of your afternoon festivities and all. And um, but thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. Um, Thanks, and, gang. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We look forward to seeing you this weekend. Do you know how to tell if your horse is a senior? If you guessed age, you'd be wrong because not all horses age at the same rate. So how do you know your horse has entered their golden years? Well, 
You might notice gray or white hairs around the eyes and muzzle, weight loss, low energy, decline in dental condition, or a choppier gait due to aches and pains. If any of those describe your horse, he or she might be a senior, and it might be a good time to start him or her on Purina Equine Senior or Equine Senior Active Horse Feed. They both have Active Age, a proprietary prebiotic proven through the years of research to support a senior's horse's aging immune system. With Purina Equine Senior, greatness never ages. To learn more, visit PurinaMills.com backslash Active Age. Thank you to Purina. And now let's listen to our next guest talk about concussions and helmets. And joining us now, we have Molly Bailey from the Chronicle of the Horse. Hi, Molly. How's it going? Great. Thank you. Good, good. Thank you so much for coming on. And we wanted to get you on today so that we could talk about the articles that have been written just lately on concussion and helmets. Um, I don't know a huge amount about it, but I'm going to just let you get going, Molly. Thanks so much. Um, So this project started last spring um, because I wanted to write a story about major changes in research, major improvements in helmet design for an issue that we were doing. The theme was innovation. So we said, well, let's look at innovations in research and helmet design. And I started looking and found that there really weren't any that were ready for prime time. We've all seen in our news feeds on the internet, uh, there's always something new coming out that you can read about, whether there's an idea for uh, sensors and helmets or new ways they can diagnose concussions. But when I started looking into it, all of those are years and years away from being ready for us to use. So I thought it was time to put together an article about what we actually do know about concussions and about helmets. Um, And it turned into two articles because it was too much information. Um, So it was great. We had uh, Dr. Lola Chambliss, who's who's a really active eventer, who was wonderful to work with. She's also a neurosurgeon. Um, And she, uh, she gave us all kinds of information about, you know, what actually happens with concussions concussions in the horse world. And the the most important thing we need to know is that most of the concussions that happen, uh, the sports-related concussions and head injuries are from equestrians. 45% of all of the folks who end up in the hospital with a head injury um, are equestrians. And that's that's just uh, an incredible number. So so that's why we decided to to go into it and to to look at what was going on. 45% seems huge, doesn't it? it's huge, especially to, when you think... Because I read that compared to the other sports, like, it's a lot. Exactly. Because you think, oh, it's got to be, you know, hockey or we see American football or, or some sort of kids sport. I would have thought American no, football would have t- taken the cake. Yeah, absolutely. That's all they do, run yeah. around, <laughs> smash each other with those yeah. helmets on. Exactly. Yeah. It, you know, one of the things that's so tricky about this, I talked to a lot of folks who were doctors and neurosurgeons and neuroscientists who were in the horse world, and the problem is we don't have an awful lot of really good research because we as horse people know there's a big difference between, you know, oh, I, I took a fall while I was getting ready for, you know, a two-star, right, or your cousin who goes on a trail ride for the first time without a helmet, right? Right, um, yeah. And unfortunately, the statistics, we can't really tell. We can't tell just from this what's the most dangerous sport, what's the most dangerous part. When you look at the raw data that's collected by the USCF, by number of uh, concussions, just by number of concussions, hunters and jumpers have the most. But when you, and then eventing is second, but when you figure it out for number of... Hunters and jumpers (laughs) have the most concussions and eventing is second. Really? But that's you in terms of that raw is, numbers. Know, is, oh, is that, that because is there are more people that do hunter jumpers rather than more than the eventer? Or is that like percentage And they don't say what that they got hit on the head. Well, um, I think Max has it just just right in that we've got a lot more starters in the hunter-jumper world. So we've got thousands and thousands of horses that go out on course, right? Um, versus as, as well good a riders as eventers, are they? You know, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> um, but but eventing eventing of all the USCF sports does um, when you when you redo those numbers according to how many people come out of the start box, eventing is number one, hunters and jumpers are second, and dressage is third. Um, 
so yeah, so jumping is, you know, because the, the breed people all say, we don't need to wear helmets. If you look at, you know, USCF also does in addition to eventing and hunters and so on and so forth, obviously they do Arabians and saddlebreds and none of them wear helmets, right? Um, and they all say, well, we don't jump. And the truth is that we don't have all the numbers yet. Matter. Jumping yeah. Isn't, yeah. You know, it's, it's dangerous no matter what, when you get on a horse, you, you never know what's going to happen. Right. Um, so that's just the reality. We're all living with as horsemen. Um, or you another interest on the ground and a horse hits you in the head, like what happened to me this morning and just about knocked me unconscious. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you know, it is because you're, you're dealing with feral 1200 pound animals. Right. So, I mean, God, you don't really know. Um, there's nothing to tell you what, when it, something can happen. You know, that's, that's a great point, Max. And I, I talked to Roy Burick from, uh, who's the, uh, the head of Charles Owen, and he's also really involved. Um, not only is he affiliated with a horse, uh, excuse me, with a helmet company, but he's really involved with, uh, safety and with research and, uh, the ASTM, which approves all our helmets. And, and that's something that he said, he pointed out. He said, after you get in an accident, um, a lot of the companies, including Charles Owen, you can send the helmet back and they'll, they'll give you a, a discount on your new one. They call it their accident replacement program. Um, and for Charles Owens, they make you, you also have to fill out a form that says, what was I doing? Right. Was I max? And I was, you know, grooming a horse and the horse got a right. little stupid and kicked, you know, tried to kick me in the head. Right. Right. Um, or was I trail riding or was I at an, you know, riding in a one star or what was going on? Right. Um, and so, so they've been starting to gather all this information, which frankly isn't available anywhere else. They're, they're the only ones that I could find after talking to an awful lot of people who are really starting to gather this data so we can tell, you know, how are these accidents happening? What percentage of them are on the ground? How many of them are happening in competition and how many are happening schooling or what have you? Now I know in, in some, in a, uh, there's been some studies and just talking to people that I know that maybe are doctors or such. And they were saying that for children to have head injuries is a lot more dangerous than adults. Um, there's something about for, I guess, um, their return to play should actually be a bit longer than, um, adults. And I don't know if that's something that you guys have done any research on, or if that's something that holds no water or if that's something you know anything about. So that's a, that's a great, great question. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that I think our federation has been trying to deal with, but not only our federation, but all the sports federations are dealing with it. Um, and the short answer is that we don't really know. Um, you know, what happens is what we do know for sure is that the cumulative effect of head injuries is a big deal. So, uh, you know, when, when it, they say it's a good idea to keep track of how many you've had over a lifetime, right? So if you have one fall on your head when you're 14 and that's it, big deal. But if you've had a, if you've had one a year since you were 14, that's probably right, a bigger right. problem, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And and so as far as um, I, I'm not personally aware of any studies that specifically looked at injuries to children versus adults, but Dr. Chambliss did talk about having different protocols at the hospital when they have a child come in according to the kid's age um, oh. to how they how they treat the injury. And I, I think that has to do most with especially really young children. Right. Um, it, it, but, but that may be also, you know, up to 18 or something like that because the brain is developing still. Um, so there's that side of it. And, it, you know, speaking of the head injuries, as, as we're learning more and more, one of the things I thought was really interesting is the helmets that we wear today um, meet a standard. It's approved by the ASTM, which is the American standard, right? Yep. And a lot of these helmets also meet different standards. So they might meet the Europeans have their own standard, the British have their own standard, uh, the Kiwis do, and so on and so forth. Um, and some of the helmets meet multiple standards. For a long time, the ASTM was considered by far the highest standard, but now um, it's not quite as straightforward. The other standards have uh, have moved up some. So there's two things, there's two different um, changes that the ASTM is considering to the standard that could make the helmets more protective that they're talking about right now. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting because you talk to the helmet manufacturers and they say, we want to make the safest helmets we can. But well, what we hear from everyone is, well, I don't want to buy a new helmet. So right. if you make a new standard, then I have to buy a new helmet. So that's, a, that's kind of the paradox of the issue is that the helmet industry um, it is not getting support from us as equestrians to yeah. uh, create much, much more safer helmets. 
Do you, I don't know, Mel, if you remember, but I remember when I was a kid, I might be dating myself, that there was a time in eventing where everybody was wearing this one type of helmet, like what we would call our old school, or calientes. Yeah. And then exactly. they changed, and we had to have ones that had the chin strap and the throat strap. And then, so exactly. everybody went and bought these, and they looked like giant mushrooms. They were so Yeah, amazing. they did. <laughs> yeah, they we were went from, We did. We went from that as well, and I think it was actually back in the mid-90s. And oh, the, yeah. The, and, the jockey they, skull cap was quite fitted yeah. to your head, and then out came this, what everybody thought awesome. was a just a massive colossal thing yeah. that no mm-hmm. one wanted to wear and it was like ooh can't wear that and um and, and now then two it, years later they became illegal so it was like you had to buy this helmet for right. this money and then you had to go buy another one yeah well so then we had that one then we had the one that had the ear covers remember oh, that one no i missed the ear cover I don't know if we had that in America oh no we had that in England had it had, yeah. it, had like it, it was kind of looked like a motorbike helmet oh yeah? dear wow yeah. I mean, you could probably you could look back through some of my Facebook pictures of the boys' ski trip. Actually, I think Tim Rusbridge wore his one to to go skiing. Looked a bit silly, but anyway, yeah. he had a safe head. No, yeah. I know it's been through all different trends and different things and different bits and pieces. So, give us an idea of where we're at now, Molly. So that's a that's a great question. The first time that the American standard came out with helmets, um, excuse me, that the the ASTM, which is the uh, um, used to be called the American Society for Testing and Materials, they came they first came out with a helmet in 1990. There have been a couple improvements since then, but really uh, talking to the folks who have made these improvements and the the folks on the design side of this. Our helmets, we haven't had a meaningful improvement to them in 14 years. The only safety improvements have been really minimal. They've just had to do with specifics with how they test the helmet. They're, they're not actually an awful lot safer than they were 14 years ago. And you think, that's not how our jumps work. That's not how anything else works. So, um, so there is a push to try to, uh, to reach out to uh, folks who are on the ASTM. And you can Google that and come right out to it. And if you, if you have an opinion about, gosh, we want to make the helmet safer, I don't care if I have to buy a new one, let them know. If you feel the other way, you can let them know that too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, 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 and we're looking, hopefully we'd like to, what we're moving towards in the future is getting better crush protection. So that means when the right. horse actually falls on you and your, and your head is between the horse and the ground, right? Yeah. We'd like to protect your helmet better there. So that's what everybody's working on now. And that's what one of the amendments would look at is creating some of this crush protection. Um, and so, so crush protection, is there something, cause I know in Europe, um, a lot of those, yep. Uh, European um, countries, they don't allow any any helmets with fixed visors. Is that part of that whole thing? I know that's just a wonderful just question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ASTM actually doesn't test the visors. So that's the okay. tricky thing. So gotcha. the trick. So so um, they might be right, <laughs> right in saying no visors. You need a you know a helmet cover with soft visor or something like that. Um, but yeah, they they are not the visors are not tested um, in the same way with the helmet. So so that's where that comes from. Okay. Yeah, because I know so, sometimes um, like they want the ones that are detachable or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or break the ones that can can break easily or come detached or something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's, so that's a big part of it. You know, the standards are the, the three standards, the European, the British and the American are fairly similar. Um, but some would argue that, that because that the British, the, next, that was my mm-hmm. next question, my next question, Molly, like you talk about these different country standards, where are we yep. at, at a FEI standpoint? So, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure about the FEI rule. I believe the FEI says the helmet you wear in the country, your helmet has to pass the standard in the country. I believe that's the case. Um, So the FEI doesn't have their own standard is sort of the short answer for that. Um, Okay. So it's so it's a little tricky. There is, it, you know, for folks who who are familiar, maybe if you have a motorcycle or something, you might have heard of Snell. Um, there, yep. uh, and Snell is another. It's an American um, group that also certifies helmets, and they got famous for doing motorcycle helmets and bike helmets. 
And um, a couple, you can get like a jockey skull cap, and uh, I think there's one or two um, helmets available uh, that are also Snell approved, and those are the highest possible standard. I don't think it's they're a little bit uh, tougher. Like like I said, it'd be like a jockey skull cap or something. So perhaps not something you'd want to wear in the dressage ring. But um, no, we are pretty those as well. pretty sure that that my, that my HSI one that I wear is Snell approved actually. Um, and that honest. does have a measure of crush protection to it. So um, we don't want any horses falling on you, but worst case scenario, that would protect you some. Right. So some days we go out and, and I go out competing and I've got a pretty, like the helmets I wear cross country, pretty heavy duty. Okay. They get a bit, they get a bit hot and a bit sticky here in Florida. Um, they've made them now with a few events and bits and pieces, but they are the heavy, heavy type ones. I look around and there's people wearing what looks like half a helmet, you know, mm-hmm. just, this really, they, it doesn't look like they would give any real protection at all in a cross country situation. I mean, it was more mm-hmm. looks more like, you know, you'd put it on your kid's head to go on their scooter, you know, <laughs> You know, you know what I'm, trying, what I'm trying to say. How do we? How do we know? How can we? Where, where's there a standard of saying this is the top? This is possibly, you know, you might not want to the go best. The standard. best thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 who are you going to ask? Let's ask the neurosurgeon first, right? So, let's ask Dr. Chambliss, and Dr. Chambliss will say if it's a helmet that meets the ASTM standard and that fits you properly, right? So it can't move around too much, especially the hunter and jumper people. You see them, they've got their chin straps way, way, way loose, right? And their helmets are sliding around on their heads. Um, So that's not what you want. You want a helmet that fits you properly and that doesn't slide around um, and that hasn't had a major fall. Um, Dr. Chambliss says she helped design the standard for polo helmets And she says there's not a huge difference between all the standards. She says maybe one's a little better. For example, the British one has a test where you have to mimic getting kicked in the head by a horse with studs on. Oh, my God. Well, maybe that's what you should have had on this morning, Matt. I got hit in the head with a head, not not hitting the head with a head. No, they they put it on a dummy, Max. They don't, like, make you. I know, but that's impressive, yeah. Right. Um, So, so, and she would say they're all pretty close, you know, Um, of course, uh, the helmet manufacturers would say, well, you want to smell approved as well as ASTM would be the absolute best you can do, which is the one that you're wearing. Right. Um, So it depends a little bit who you ask, but um, I think it's fair to say that if you have a helmet that hasn't suffered a fall, um, that is ASTM approved. And like I said, the smell is a little higher and we don't see that an awful lot, not when it's not cross country day. Um, that's probably the one you want to wear. And I think, Max, your question about, you know, how much is this in the barn versus how important is it to wear one in the barn versus not in the barn? Um, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, what's really interesting about the helmets is the way that we actually got approved hard hats in this country is thanks to Pony Club. Um, Drew Malavasi, who's still involved in Pony Club, um, she's the one who uh, sat down with a bunch of accident reports that people were sending in and started to put together, you know, started to say, all right, we need to get our kids to wear not these Calientes that haven't been tested, but let's let's force them to wear helmets that actually, um, you know, let's design a better helmet for, for, for them. And so she started that whole push and the first approved helmet came out in 19, uh, I think it was 1990. Um, but Max, like you were saying, the USPC, they did publish their first list of helmets that passed their first test before they were official ASTM tests. And that was about a decade earlier. So that's probably what you oh, were wow. wearing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They were very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't probably help much, but they were very comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because it was it was really hard to get people to wear them, right? If you weren't in, yes. involved yeah. in Pony Club, and, and most of us were, but if you weren't involved in Pony Club, you probably didn't want to wear one, right? You wanted yeah. to wear a hunt cap or nothing, right? Yes. Um, I mean, people, we just, you know, stopped wearing hunt caps not very long ago, right? I mean, I think everybody exactly. I still have mine somewhere and, you know, I put it on. I'm like, what did, what, how did I think this was protecting me? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. 
So it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting to see the evolution, and especially even if you think of the dressage world, when I flip through our magazine today and then I flip through one that's even six years old, the number of, you know, top hats versus helmets is just night and day. You know, I think it's now that we're learning more, um, now that we know more about head injuries, we know that cumulative effects are a problem and we have this technology, we can make use of it. It's not a matter of demonizing anyone else. It's just a matter of now we've got the technology. So now we know. Right. So I, I, go ahead, Joe. Oh. I got another question, and 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 help me out here, Molly. Isn't there some sort of like examination that you can have, or test that you can have, so that so that you have some medical history to see where your head is at, so that if you oh, do get a oh, head injury, good joke. I like that. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, there are several tests available, including one that's called the impact test. And you can get information about this on the USEA or the USEF website. USEF actually has a lot of really great um, uh, resources there. And so you can go ahead and take this test and it's some sort of cognitive test. You don't pass it or fail it when you take it. You're just trying to get a baseline to say, okay, my baseline score is 60, Okay. If, if you have another, if you have a fall off a horse, you want to return to competition, um, you want to see how your brain's doing, you can take this test. And um, it, you don't have to get 100, you just need to get somewhere near 60, right? Um, so you don't need to become a smarter person, you just need to get back to where you were. Um, and the USDA does indeed have a rule um, about return to play, that if you have taken this impact test and you take another one um, after a fall demonstrating that, uh, that you're okay, that you can go right back to competition. So where do we do that? Yeah, and so that's that's something you can actually do online. Um, and again, the links for that are at USCF. They actually um, have fantastic resources there um, about about taking these tests. And also, if you're an instructor, it's probably not a bad idea to just uh, they've got some concussion training on there. It's not hard to diagnose a concussion. It's going to be a conservative assessment. But you'd like to know after your student falls off, you just got to ask them a couple things whether to know if uh, it, you know it, you got to immediately send them to the hospital or maybe just wait out for a couple seconds and put them back on, right? I mean, we all grew up thinking that you fall off, you've got to hop right back on. But um, Dr. Chambliss and all these other doctors are telling us now that, you know, you got to, maybe that's not quite the right idea. Maybe you've got to wait just a minute because the concussion system, excuse me, the concussion symptoms can come, they can take a little while to develop, right? You fall off on your head. Maybe maybe it takes a little while before you feel sick. And so nowadays, they're, um, you know, she and other doctors are recommending, you don't have to go back to the barn, but maybe you just need to wait a minute and see how you feel before you hop right back on if you fall on your head uh, we I think we take it for granted a lot of times we do fall off and we do all these things and we just get back on and and we have to remember to look after ourselves because um you know and each other right I mean it's also too it's like we it's responsibility for us if we think that somebody's really ding their head they're not doing well we gotta you know help them out too at the same time Molly thank you so much for coming on the show and um educating us uh, about how to look after ourselves and our heads and things. Um, I just, before you go, I want you to just sort of give me a bit more of an idea when you, when you said you can go online, Absolutely. a little bit more specific about that. Sure. So, um, if you're specifically looking for concussion resources, there's a couple places you can get there. Um, the first half of the article, which focuses on head injuries, the second half focuses on helmets, but the concussion story is available online. If you go to www.coth.com, so cough.com, um, you can actually read the article um, and then you should also go right to the USCF.org and they have links right on there, right to one that says concussions. And you can go right there. You can watch videos. Um, they've got posters you can print out to put in your barn. They've got, um, you can uh, link to the impact test and lots of information about how to train to be That's better great. able to diagnose the concussions. Yeah, USCF is taking this really seriously, which is great. Yeah, good. So thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Max, pretty interesting, all that head stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yes, very interesting. That was and and Molly's she's so articulate the way she explained it all. That was great to great to talk to her. I know one of those interviews where you sort of sit there and just go, uh. huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just you're absolutely let, her, right. let her go. She seems let her to keep know rolling. She's, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right. No, I found that very interesting, and I think. Yep. 
Yeah, I've been fairly, I've been fairly good about it. Like you have a big, a big stack and a big, big smack and um, on your head and trade the helmet in and and things. Yeah, I mean, been a bit luckier that sort of had helmet sponsors and things, but that's been okay. But I've seen some some really smashed up ones and things, and so yeah, yeah no, cool. That's yeah. Pretty yeah. So, um, all right. Well, Max, I know that you are busy and you've got to go and do yeah, a, a yeah. arena familiarization. Um, I've exactly. got to get back out. I've got to go lead some horses and do the job I was I came here to do. Um, but yeah, we also want we want to thank the Eventing Riders Association because without them too, this podcast wouldn't happen. And they've been supporting this for a long time. And if anybody that's listening is in the area and wants to attend, we have a meeting Thursday at uh, the Riders Tent at the Carolina International Show. We're going to have our first ERA um, members meeting. So that's actually kind of exciting. And, and we're going to try to do that throughout the year so we can all get a, get around and talk about things we think needs needs discussing. So well, there we cool. go. That's, you're going to have to give yeah. us a report on that. Let yeah, us know exactly. what happens. Yeah. 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 So, all right, everybody. So thank you so much for listening to the Eventing Riders Association of North America podcast. You can learn more about Eventing Riders Association of North America at eraofna.com. You can find the links to today's guests and topics at eventingradio.com. Follow Eventing Radio on Facebook. Just search for the Eventing Radio Show and on Twitter at Eventing Radio. Listen to the Eventing Radio anytime, anywhere with the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also subscribe by iTunes. Thanks again to our title sponsor, Fit of Britain and Purina. This is Max, and you can find me on Facebook, Max Corcoran Horse Care. You can find me on uh, Twitter at MMC338. You can find me on my blog, Max Corcoran WordPress, and you can find me at the closest heating system in <laughs> Rayford, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And this is Joe, and you can find me on Facebook, Joe Meyer. You can follow me on Twitter, Joe Meyer EVN. TR. You can go to my website, which is joemeyereventing.com, and you can find me on Instagram. And I keep saying this each week. I think it's Joe Meyer Eventing, and <laughs> I've put up some pretty cool videos, I, I reckon. And I still need some help, and no one has helped me. I have no feedback. But anyway, that's fine. Um, but, yeah, that's the story. And you can find me in beautiful, sunny Ocala, Florida. I'm uh, just going to out to teach. I know. Sorry, Max. Sorry for that one. I know. But I'll be home uh, soon. I'll be home soon. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to seeing you back here, Max, and looking forward to talking to you listeners in two weeks' time. Bye, everyone. Bye.